0: Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob The House Guy.
1: As always, we have some awesome guests. We have a longtime friend of the show with us today. We have Joanna Anderson, all the way from the Carolinas. How you doing? I'm great. Awesome. And we have a local guy. We have Chris Hansen in with us, and he is going to be representing the contractors today. How you doing? Doing wonderful. Awesome. So in case you haven't picked up on it, today is going to be all about contracting. We have the investor versus the contractor. It's not really a versus type thing, but we all know that as investors, when you're buying and selling or renting properties, one of the biggest challenges we have are dealing with the trades. And there's so many different personalities and so many different things that can go wrong. And being an investor, as much as I would love to say, it's all their fault, it's really not. I've actually worked with Chris in the past, he's a great guy, that's why we asked him to be on the show because he knows what it's like to have to deal with some of the subcontractors, so he feels our pain. And hopefully we can get through building a glorious relationship so investors and contractors can live as one in harmony. So let's get started here, guys. Joanna, you are mainly a, uh, a flipper, a wholesaler. And uh, as you say, uh, I think the word is prehab. <laughs> We're selling things that you're just lightly touching and selling. Tell me about contracting. How do you choose your
2: contractors? Uh, first, they have to be licensed and insured, and then I'm uh, that's that's just the preliminary to even get on the phone with me. Then after that, uh, we go through a series of uh, questions, an uh, application per se, and they may answer the right questions. And then I'm going to actually look at their work to make sure that they do quality work. I'm also going to check their references, people that they work with before. Uh, to make sure that they have a good relationship with uh, previous investors like myself or could be regular homeowners that have used their work.
1: Now, Chris, you've worked with, I'm sure, homeowners as well as investors. Why would you choose to work with investors? I'm sure they're not paying the rates that you're going to get from the the homeowner.
3: Well, that is a great question. And uh, the number one reason is I find it much easier to work with an investor than the homeowner. The homeowners tend to be much more involved in the process. You're working with them, they're seeing the mess, they're seeing how the sausage is made, if you will. And it's much easier working with an investor who understands the process a little better, understands that you've gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet, that things get ugly before they get nice. So I find that much more refreshing, much less stressful.
1: That's a great way of putting about the sausage being made because I've always said, could you imagine if the car that you're buying brand new, if you were there during the process of it being put together and watching it go down the assembly line and watching someone put a pop can in the back seat while (laughs) while they're assembling something else, you'd be freaking out. And yet, and contractors, you guys are stuck with people basically watching over your shoulder on every step of the way. Yeah, well, I
3: can put in a nice kitchen for one of my rentals or an investor's rentals for a fraction of the cost that I would do for you personally in your house because you've got so much more to deal with. You've got to actually charge more for all that.
1: I do agree, 100%. So when entering into a contract with a contractor, and we're gonna say the word contract, let's give some definitions to what we're talking about here. We're going to talk about Chris as being a contractor, meaning he does not work directly for you. He is not on a W-2 payroll. You're not providing tools or telling him when to start or when to stop. You are just giving him a task. And as the contractor, you may be doing some of the work yourself but have some subcontractors below you that you're herding the cats up yes. and <laughs> trying to get them to do stuff. So he's handling a lot of the problems for you. Are we clear on all definitions? So you think sure. everyone at home's getting that? All right. Now we identified. So as you're hiring a contractor like Chris. A lot of contractors require a down payment. Let's just do this magical $10,000 job. And when a contractor says, I need 5000 down, and the job's ten, do you give them the 5000 Do you not, or how do you handle that?
2: I do not. I do not pay up front. I pay as work is completed. At any job in America, when you walk on the job, you don't get paid the same day. You have to work a week or two in the hole. Um, the power that contractors have over us is that they have the power of a lien so that if we don't pay them, they could put a lien on our property that prevents us from selling it without paying them. As investors, we have no protection. And that is why I don't pay contractors up front. I pay as work is completed.
1: Wow. Now, how do you feel about that? Are you cool with starting a job Mm -hmm. without having any money down? I am not. (laughs) (laughs) I would.
3: I would start a job with nothing down for someone I've worked a lot of projects with. However, if I'm working with someone brand new, I would require some down payment, maybe 20 percent, something just to make sure that we're all above board here. I have worked with out-of-state investors, and usually I try to find a third party to act as an escrow agent, like a management company if that's how they came to me. And more than likely, that's a, a really nice alternative to work out because now the, the out of state investor is okay because they're, they're giving some money to a management company they trust. I'm working with a management company I trust. They can go on site and see if the work's getting done and kind of be a second set of eyes on it.
1: Well, wow, this is funny that just in this conversation opening up, I know exactly, I've been on both sides. I've done some general contracting, the real estate market crashed, I was doing a little bit of that. And I know exactly how you feel and I know exactly how you feel. So it's interesting to see. I would never give money down and I would require money down. So let's pretend the third party escrow did not exist. And you were going to try to hire him. Is there a point that you'd cave in to give a little bit of a down payment?
2: No, there's not.
1: There's not. Is there a point you would cave in? (laughs) There's
2: too much work out there. There's (laughs)
1: there's, yeah, there's I just say,
3: you know, sorry, it just it wouldn't work. The only
2: stipulation that I would make is if there were supplies that needed that were needed to get started. I would pay for those supplies myself and have control over those supplies. But the labor I would not pay for up front. Wow. See,
3: there's 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 a whole hour of talking about supplies. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, a ton of things there. You you can get supplies if you're smart and you've been in this business a while. Yes. You can get deep discounts on your supplies, which I feel is part of the contractor's uh, repertoire of what we know how to do. It's part of our what we've developed. So I always have a problem if someone wants to buy my supplies because, A, I know where I'm going to get them. I know who I trust to get them. I know I can get them at sometimes 30%, 40% off markup. You know standard pricing, so even that gets a little odd.
1: So you'd prefer to give a labor and material price. Yes, and you'd prefer to buy some supplies and just pay as work is
2: done. Th- that's not my preference. <laughs> that yeah. would be the uh, compromise that I would make. And even if they were uh, his supplies from his supplier, I would pay for those supplies so that he could do the job. But then I pay for the labor once it's complete. Um, I don't. I do not choose to pay for supplies separately from labor. You know, I want one full price that I will pay as work is completed. That's what I prefer. So uh, on a $10,000 project, I would want
3: $2,000 upfront. Maybe we could work something out where I would buy the materials, have them delivered and expect payment when you knew they were delivered to your job site. That way maybe we could both be satisfied. Because mm-hmm. there is so much that goes into purchasing on the contractor side you've developed relationships over years. Maybe you've got volume discounts. Maybe you're purchasing things in a certain way that you get even deeper discounts. And those are all things that a contractor should be able to work on and improve and refine to take advantage of. So if a uh, investor such as you wants to then pay directly, I lose
1: out on all that. So here in the Cleveland market, we have a grocery store that you can buy gift cards for a lot of the big box stores. And by buying those, let's say a thousand dollar gift card, is a couple of free tanks of gas. Are you good with that as your down payment? Say hey, here's the gift cards. Go get your own supplies at the supply house.
3: Uh, actually, no, because that's part of my strategy. I have a credit card that I use that pays me perks, cash back, rewards. I use that to buy my gift cards at get-go. so I get my my free gas. Then, then I go to Home Depot and I go to the pro desk. I make sure I get my my. Uh, purchase over $1,500. So I get it into the bid room. They give me further discounts. I also make sure I shop when the Menards discount is running. So I get it a further 11%. And that's just some of it. There are so many aspects to what I'm doing to save money on the purchasing side. So basically, when I'm shopping at Home Depot for your project, I can get 20 to 30% off what you would normally pay. But that's all because I've done my homework.
1: He is 100% correct. I, like all these tricks he does, I do. I know. I'm like, wow, you really are dialed in. And it's a lot of work to horse around with all that stuff. That's for sure. I like your
2: style. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I always tell people not letting the money and the work get out of line. I never want, you know, as a contractor, you never want to be in so deep with the, with the investor yes. that you're not getting paid. And on the flip side, you don't want to say, hey, here's 10 grand down, and all they've done was tear out the kitchen. Yeah. So once you get that initial initial buy-in right there and you're given the down payment and the trust is starting to build a little bit how are you then with dealing with the contractor with keeping a pay schedule going along and I'm gonna ask you how you are with expecting your pay schedule so how would you handle it once you get let's got we got past the hurdle of a couple thousand dollars down you sweat it out for one night thinking he disappeared with your money and ran off to Tahiti. But now he showed up with materials. How's the rest of your draw schedule look?
2: So I create my payment schedule uh, before the project even starts. So I sit down with my contractors. We talk about what uh, work will be completed by this point and how much that should cost, how much that payment should be. So we already have everything planned out before the project begins. So that first payment might be $10,000. The second payment, which may include rough-ins and, and uh, a new bathtub or lighting, that's a separate payment. And those things are still paid as completed, but we've already set the amount that's gonna be paid when those are completed. So it's not an issue of Uh, Okay, well, I did this, this, and this, pay me. This is what we agreed upon. We sat down and built this out together. And I always do it with them so that it's fair on both sides. And uh, I like to stay behind on the money, of course, and ahead on the work.
1: Now, how would you handle this from that point forward? Do you have your own paperwork you use, or are you okay with using your investors' paperwork?
3: Uh, I'm actually totally okay with that. I can create my own uh, schedule of deliverables, or I can work with the investors, and as long as it makes sense and it's fair, I am completely okay with that. And I'm even okay with the investor being ahead on the money. Let's say it's a a $50,000 job, and we've gone through all the deliverables, and there's $5,000 still owed to me, it has to be when the job's complete. I'm okay with that because they're expecting me to provide a service and do what I say I'm going to do. And I will prove that I do that. So I, I am okay. And if you've gone through a, a big project and you've been paid when they said they're going to pay you, there's no reason not to trust them.
1: Clearly this is a problem on the first job. Once it, it goes so much easier by the second and third and fourth, like you and this, you talked on oh, yeah, camera yeah. with a mutual friend that you're doing so much work for right now because we both know what a great human being he is and yeah. there's no reason to look anywhere else. Exactly, <laughs> It's working great. So we established now the money and the, the work line and so forth. Let's talk about timeline. You know, like you said, you don't know like what materials to buy. So as an investor, how are you dictating a timeline that's realistic to your contractor? Because I know as investors, we think this should be done by noon tomorrow. Let's get this going. (laughs) But how are you educating yourself enough to know how long it should really
2: take? Well, each project, um, 10,000 for me equals a week's worth of work for the contractors that I work with. Um, They can turn over things pretty quickly. Some beat that timeline. I've had one rehab project completed in a week and two days that cost $25,000. It should have taken two and a half weeks, but they were finished in a week and two days. That's how fast they turned it around. So I set the timeline based on that model that every $10,000 or every $10,000 for each project equals one week. So if it's a $60,000 project, it should take them six weeks. Now I always give a cushion. For one additional week, just in case, because life happens, weather happens, you know, things happen, and I don't want them to feel pressured because then I don't get a good quality of work.
1: Now, how about are you usually pretty cool with the investor dictating the timelines, or do you like to be a little more free to be able to balance between jobs, which that's gonna be a part two we we'll talk about in a second?
3: You know, I I think that what you said is probably pretty accurate. Um, I would. I would think that most contractors could stick to that timeline and you did mention there's things that would change that, like we're doing a large job in Mena right now. It's an $80,000 job. We can't do a certain amount of work because we're doing full basement waterproofing. So I can't finish the basement, build the deck, or do a lot of anything else on the job till that waterproofing's done. Now I've got to wait four weeks for the foundation contractor to be able to get on the job. So I've kind of got a cushion. There's some work I can do, but I can't do much until that, that piece is done. So not every job works out that way. So I think that a week to two weeks would be very fair
1: on that. So that leads me to part two here. You being a general contractor, how many different clients will you juggle at one time or different houses will you juggle at one time?
3: In the past, I've juggled multiple investors and multiple projects. Uh, the market's so hot right now and so tight for good contractors. I'm just working with one person exclusively now, and I don't have. I'm not going to deal with multiple contractors. They have enough work to keep me busy. On a, a, I could ramp up as much as I want or as slow as I want. So I used to, mm. and that does create a lot of issues. You know, you're 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 jumping around. You're trying to do this, 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 and this. Someone calls off and all of a sudden it throws a, a, a wrench in the works.
1: So are you okay? Now he is, he's reformed now. <laughs> he's reformed. He deals with one person. He's very yeah. monogamous. <laughs> but with contractors, that's a problem I run across with a lot yeah. of them, that they want to start this job, start this job, start it. And, and I literally have one contractor that he will work from, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the afternoon on one job, then he goes to another job at six at night and then works there until midnight and starts again. How are you? Do you ever have any problems with contractors doing that?
2: Um, I, I, my contractors generally work on more than one project. They don't solely work for me. They're running the business just like I am. I'm not focused on one project at a time either. So while they're working on my project, I'm not standing over them. I'm trying to find more deals. You know, we're working on another deal with a different set of contractors. Um, but what I will say about my contractors is they, that they have multiple teams so that they can have a crew doing demo on my project while they're doing painting at another one or getting the rough ends done on another one. So I hire contractors that are professional yeah. and, and they know what they're doing. So I trust them to do just that. By the, point, by the time I'm hiring them, I trust that they're professional enough to be able to handle more than one job. I, mean, they, I don't think they would be, uh, be that great if they weren't.
3: I found that is uh, definitely something that we do juggle is you, you have different crews who do different things. So the guys who are doing the demo and the, the cleaning and uh, the rough in are different skills than the people putting in the kitchens and the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. So you can naturally do multiple jobs.
0: Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and a couple of the most common things we hear from our listeners are, I want to become a real estate investor, but I don't know where to start. Or, I have a real estate investing business, but I'm having trouble scaling it. We took these to heart and decided to create the Real Estate Investing Lifecycle, a downloadable PDF which lays out the six foundational steps required to run a successful real estate investing business. You can download your copy today at reilifecycle.com slash start. Happy investing!
1: Now, you, like myself, are pretty demanding. You're, you're an investor. How do you get these contractors? How do you beat them into submission to, to, to following the, the Joanna rules of the road? <laughs> how do you say, no, 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 you're mistaken. No, no, you get nothing down. You're going to work for free for two weeks and not take any other jobs. How do you get them to do this?
2: <laughs> well, for starters, I'm a nice person, <laughs> unless you ask my siblings. <laughs> but... um, You know, I have created the credibility and I would encourage any contractor to also check who you're working for. I'm checking their references. Why wouldn't you check mine? You know, they um, I, I teach them. My system. This is the way it's going to be. I'm pretty uh, convincing. And I let them know that I love to pay contractors, which I absolutely do, because if I'm paying them, they're getting the work done and I'm getting closer to the point where I can sell that property and realize my profit. Because remember, during this whole time, I'm not making any money. I'm hoping to make some money when they finish. So I love paying my contractors and I let them know that. And the fact that I sit down and talk with them and I'm not just like here, here's a scope of work, get it done. You know, I walk with them through the property. Uh, I sit down with them for that payment schedule and we make it up together. You know, is this fair to you? Because it's not fair to me or this is fair for me. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? You know, I'm taking in their (coughs) input. I'm treating them as a human being and not just My contractor, they are essentially my partners in the business. Nice.
3: I look at it the same way because uh, you run across so much when you're rehabbing and you got to communicate. If there's the slightest problem, I want to communicate to the investor right away. I'm going to send pictures. I'm going to send, you know, talk to you. I'm going to find out, you know, what your expectations are. If they're not clearly spelled out, I'll give you, we run across a problem. I'm going to give you options. Say, well, we could do this, this, or this, and leave it up to you. So, so many contractors don't communicate well. And as the investor, that's just going to frustrate you because now you don't know what you're doing, and you can only start thinking the worst about them. Mm -hmm. Well, they've run off with my money, and they're hunting deer in Pennsylvania.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's about it. um, How do you deal with maybe you don't do this, maybe you don't accept this? I've always had the bonus penalty structure. You know, you have a $20,000 job, you have two weeks to finish it, because clearly we know that it's $10,000 a week in work now. So, for every day you get done early, I give you a $200 bonus. For every day you're late, you lose $100. Are you both cool with a structure like that?
2: I am cool with it. I have only one side of that written in my contract, which could or could not be (laughs) the right Uh. way to do it, but I only have the penalties actually written in my contract. I do give the bonuses, but it is just that, a bonus. If they finish early, uh, I reward them. But I don't want them to, I don't want to have that in writing because I don't want them to rush through the job to try to get a $200 bonus. It's not worth it to them or me for them to rush through it and do uh, not a great job. <laughs> uh, I've,
3: I've tried that and I have run across
2: you, you, someone's trying to hit that bonus and
3: they're doing total half-assed work and you got to say, stop, this isn't working. And... Uh, the other thing is you mentioned um, contractors or maybe you did who worked in a day and then they come and do work on another job at night. I don't want that guy working on my property from six to midnight. He's already worked eight or 10 hours. He's dead. His brain is dead. He's going to hurt himself. He's going to do lower quality work. I want someone, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours, maybe. And that's it. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to expect someone to give
2: me their best work after 14 or 16 hours of working. And I'll also add the neighbors aren't gonna be happy with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So as much as we try to insulate ourselves with the contractors and subcontractors, what are some of the challenges that you've ever had or maybe you've had? Well, you have a battle with your plumber, let's say. You and your plumber have it out. He says, I deserve this amount. And you're like, no, you didn't do the work right, nor did you finish it. I'm not giving you the last thousand bucks, whatever it is. And he is leaning her property on there. Are you doing lien waivers? Are you requiring lien waivers? How do you guys handle that?
2: I do a lien waiver with every payment.
1: A lien waiver with every payment.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm,
1: That's good stuff.
3: Well, because of my experience or having bad experiences with that, we do most of our work in-house. So I don't really have to deal with so many of the subcontractors anymore. So I don't really deal with that issue.
1: Let me, let me pause. Just for a second, because as I'm thinking in my head, lien waiver, what it is. A lot of people might not know what a lien waiver is. A lien waiver is basically if Chris does work on the house or one of his subs does work on the house and then Chris does not get paid, Chris puts a notice on record on the deed saying, hey, look, I'm owed a couple thousand bucks. That way when the investor goes to sell, then now, boom, they can't uh, sell the house because there's a lien on there. A lien waiver says you don't have the right to do that. So just so people understand what the heck we're talking about there. So has that ever happened with you? Have you ever had a lien?
2: I have. I have. It was from a subcontractor.
1: A subcontractor below your contractor. Uh All right. So how did you handle that?
2: So I pulled out my lien waivers. I I did actually have to go to court. I didn't end up paying them. I won. But in the end, I lost because it held up my property being sold. I still made a profit on it, but I didn't make as much profit as I could have because of that. Lean waiver. And even when, once I won in court, he still had the right to appeal. So I still had to wait for that time period to pass as well.
1: From what I understand, you can bond on those in Ohio. At least you can buy a bond and still close and there's a bond held, then it gets paid if there was a problem after it goes to litigation.
2: Well, the buyer wasn't willing to do that.
1: Okay. I got I'm was saying Ohio. I don't yeah. know laws in state. Now Chris, have you ever been the lien-or? Have you ever leaned a property on someone?
3: Uh, I've tried and I've been unsuccessful um, and I'm, I'm not sure why it was a few years ago and I don't remember the details. I just remember being uh, uh, disappointed that I wasn't able
1: to collect and you know what's funny? I think I remember that I think you asked me advice on that yeah. I hope to be attorney. Now I ask you this question, I'm like, oh, yeah. I think I remember that you said who could lean this for I me. I think
3: it was an out of state investor. Yeah. And there the I laws in Ohio wouldn't allow me to do anything with someone out of state oh, or something no. like that. There was a loophole. It's like, ah.
1: That's funny. I do remember that. I remember that now I'm talking about that. So okay. Now we're covering all the money, we're covering all the liens, everything else. Let's go back to craftsmanship for a second. One of the problems I've always ran across, and maybe this is your problem as well as an investor, it's that final 10%. It's that final, like all contractors, I'm not throwing, all contracts except for Chris. No, no. no. <laughs> they all start out gangbusters. Like day one, they're gutting stuff, ripping it out, framing, everything's going amazing, and then it just starts whoa, slowing down. And then by the end, it's like there's so much, like doorknobs aren't on, trim's not finished, that's not painted, there's overcuts around the... uh the plates and so forth. How do you handle that with your contractors? Are you doing a large holdback?
2: Yes, I do. I it's at least ten percent that I'm holding back for that final payment, even though all work is essentially done. It is that the punch list things that um, take forever to get done. For some for some reason, it just takes so long to get those little things done, and then there's a punch list after the punch list because you didn't do mm-hmm. all the things right on the punch list. At, but I calculate for that time within within uh, the contracted period.
3: I'm probably just as hard on the people who work for me as an investor would be on any contractor. I get so furious when I, I like the job needs to be 100% done, and it's like you know you didn't you didn't do it 100%. There's an outlet cover plate missing. There's a, you know you didn't caulk around the sink. You didn't do this. There's you know I walk through the house. And I'll take 20, 30 pictures, point at it, and I send it to the guys and say, these are the things I want done. I am just as hard on them as anyone else because I want to train them to think like it's their money. It's their job. They're doing it for their own benefit. And it really is hard to train people like that.
1: I literally believe there's a need in the marketplace that you could have something called punch out construction and all you do is finish everyone's job. Your job is to show up and just finish. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that for you a few times. You have. You have. I've had, you know, how many times I've hired a punch out crew. Just like, I just, I get so frustrated with my guys. I'm like, you know what, guys, just go start another job because I'm yeah. not going to see you every day again. <laughs> just go do your gangbuster part. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has their strong points. So, why don't you give us some of your top issues with contractors? Like, what's one of your biggest pet peeves or problems you have with them?
2: I would say in general, contractors are good at their work, but bad at business. They don't know how to manage their money. A lot of times Uh, communication is an issue. Um, But for the most part, the contractors that I actually hire, they're good with their hands, their work is complete, but timing and uh, managing their money is an issue. They're just not good at business. You know, they they like to work with their hands and, you know, not the business aspect of it. And some um, bids I get back will just have one number on it and not a breakdown of how, <laughs> how we got to that number. <laughs> you know So I, I wish that some of them were better at business, but if they were, I'd probably be charged more.
1: The pick from air quote. <laughs>
3: well, I go back to, I don't know how many years it's been, but the e-myth, uh, Michael Gerber. Yes. Uh, so many people think, because they can do the work, that they can run the business, and that is so far from the truth. And some people are just are never meant to run a business, and they can it, It's everything in their power just to be able to run their small little contracting business. Um, I try to keep that in mind. I try, like I said, I want to look at the project from everyone's right. perspective. So that is that is a huge problem with contractors. They they don't understand communication. They don't understand money. They don't understand uh, being in your shoes and what you're looking for. So it is very frustrating. Yes.
1: Do you feel that sometimes it is beneficial for you to play the, the parental role and educate them on here's how to communicate, here's what I expect, and here's how your money, is, let's help you manage this and, and to kind of work with them? Or are you just looking for the grown up contract right off the bat?
2: Oh my goodness. I am an educator at heart. So it doesn't matter how they come to me. I'm trying to educate everyone at all times. So I do take on that parental role uh, sometimes and and I take my contracts. I want them to grow their business. I don't want to be the only one successful. You know, I want them to be successful as well. Uh, One of my contractors, I gave him to someone else to um, do their work mm-hmm. and he didn't get paid i was like okay well look this is what you do you go downtown you put a lien because the guy was getting ready to sell yep. the house i was like you go and you put a lien on the property and he was like i don't want to do that i was like do you want your money this is what you do and <laughs> so he put a lien they couldn't close the property they had to pay him
1: wow i now chris this is kind of a tough question because clearly all investors are perfect. But let's pretend that if uh, there's an investor that was not perfect, what kind of problems have you seen with investors? Whoa. Um, <laughs> so many
3: investors watch HGTV and they go, let me get into this. I think I could be the next Chip and Joanna Gaines. Uh-huh. And they are clueless. They, eventually, when I'm meeting with an investor for the first time, usually I have to say, stop. I know we're talking about this house and what you want to do to it, but what is your business strategy? Because it sounds to me like you don't have one. <laughs> and I, it's, it may sound rude, but they they eventually go, yeah, you know, you're right. I, are you going to buy and flip? Are you going to buy and hold? What are you going to do with this property? You long-term rental, whatever. And that dictates how you're going to get the job done. And a lot of these investors don't know it. They've just jumped in with both feet. They've, had a, they've watched a few bigger podcasts. Uh, bigger pocket podcasts uh-huh. uh, and stuff like that and they think that they're experts
1: oh my gosh that's that so true my, my favorite thing is when we're doing with our investors and everyone always tells me the goal they go and it, it's funny that this is almost the magical number i've heard a million times like i would like to do five to ten rehabs a month i'm like okay first of all that's a hundred percent increase <laughs> five or ten i yeah, mean yeah. That, like that's a big difference you know that's right. double amount second have you ever even oversaw a project on your bathroom remodel or something and now you want to manage five houses at one time with five different crews and five different cities and five different permits good luck
3: and then you find out that uh, they have no financing yeah. they're, oh, they're no. not bankable <laughs> and they've got twenty thousand dollars saved up and you're like what why
1: am I talking to you yeah it's a very 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 big challenge so if there's something I want you to both describe your perfect um, if we're kind of like using a dating app for the opposite person here. You are using, we'll start with you, an investor daters app. I want you to say what is the perfect uh, investor that you want to work for? Well, you already know him. I already know him, <laughs> yes. I so go ahead and describe him. Uh, Six foot th- two, blue eyes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, we started off working together maybe three years ago, and it was the initial, hey, let's see how you do. I did a, a few jobs for him. You know, we, we were really tight on the deliverables and you know, down payments. And, but after three rehabs, we you know, really opened up, and it was like there's just trust there. We both want to do the right thing. We're both very trusting and honest people. We're both always going to be looking to do what's best. I don't get, and I have a lot of creative leeway on the job. I'll call him up and say, hey, I'm thinking we should put recessed lights in here instead of uh, this. Or we should open this wall up and do this. And then we talk about it. He goes, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Or, you know, he'll bring in a designer and then we'll talk about what the designer came up with. And we, it's a really collaborative effort. It's, it's a joy to work with this guy.
1: All right. Now you are going to do the avatar for the perfect contractor. <laughs> They're drug and alcohol my free. ideal contractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a giver.
2: <laughs> my ideal contractor is licensed, insured and experienced, has both short term and long term goals that I can feed into and they can buy into my goals and we can work together to to push each other to that next level. I want a good communicator and I want someone that has a lot of resources.
1: Wow, that's very specific. And yeah, I, I love, because you're a long-time friend of the show, it's so funny, the goals, we hit on everything, that's amazing, that's good. You've really been very descriptive on that. Mm-hmm. So, Joanna, we, all, we already know what um, real estate has meant to you and all the freedoms it's given you from coming out of being a teacher into the entrepreneurial world, world and um, the, uh, the mask comes off. Don't tell anyone, but someone might also be a little bit of an investor here at the table and may own a few properties. So let's ask it, Chris, taking off your hat as the contractor and on your hat as an investor yourself, what freedoms has real estate investing given you?
3: Well, first and foremost, it's uh, given me the freedom pers- to pursue what I enjoy. Uh, I've always been enthralled with fixing up old houses, rehabbing, uh, the whole real estate gamut. Everything about it, I'm, just, I'm, I'm very happy to be doing this. Uh, before I did that, I was in IT. I was successful. I didn't like IT.
2: I like real <laughs> estate.
3: So that's that's uh, what it's allowed me to do. Um, you know, we're sitting here in an afternoon. I don't have to be anywhere. I could I can meet with you guys and and talk. Uh, I have freedom to do whatever I I please, um, as long as I keep everyone happy.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the common denominator we're all talking about is the freedom is time. It's the time to make our own schedule, not to have someone else make the schedule for us. That's what I get from all of our guests here.
3: Yeah, and another thing, I I love helping people. I work with so many investors who I act as a mentor to. And I teach them what maybe they don't know or they have to learn. And uh, I'm a a resource. They need someone for uh, windows and doors. They need a, a good attorney. They need a good property manager. They need somebody... I can help them with those things.
1: Very important. It's too bad you guys aren't in the same market because I, know. I might have made a love connection here. Right? You guys be all sorts of work, but you already have your guy you're tied into working all the time. Well, guys, it has been amazing to have you here. I think the one takeaway we have to have is is communicate well up front, not later on. Document, document, document. Write everything down. Have a mutual understanding before the check is written and the hammer's picked up, and things will go a lot smoother. You've been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do.
0: This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.